Welcome to the weekly worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbon A and Kankakee. In today's service, you will hear readings from God's Word, a message from our pastor, the Lord's Prayer, and a blessing for you and your family. But first, a few announcements about our ministry at St. Paul's. We invite you to join us for our weekly 5 p.m. Saturday worship service at our church located at 348 East Merchant Street in downtown Kankakee. We also hold weekly Sunday morning worship services at 8.30 and 11.05 at our school site, located at 1780 Career Center Road in Bourbon A. If you have any health reasons that might keep you away from in-person worship, please consider one of our alternative worship services, such as our worship page on our website, our weekly WKAN broadcast, and through our Facebook stream. You may also request an audio copy or opt for our podcast. All worship services and church information are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. The latest information on our response to the pandemic is available by clicking the COVID-19 tab at the top of the page. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, please call the church office at 815-932-0312. And now we pray that you are blessed by the Word of God in today's worship. selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considered submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. 
Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to glory. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Please rise with us. according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum and while when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but welcomes the one who sent me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. We continue with our hymn, hymn 857. Lord, help us walk your servant way.
May God grace, mercy, and peace be yours this day in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text of the message comes from our gospel reading from Mark chapter 9. Let's pray. O God of love, in his ministry, your son Jesus put the needs of others ahead of his own. Keep us from thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought and help us to mirror Christ's love and seek the good of others. As we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. We heard from Mark, Jesus sat down, called the 12 disciples and said to them, whoever wants to be first must place himself last of all and be the servant of all. It's our text. Maybe you remember, or maybe you have heard the arguing that happens between children, right? Or maybe you took part in it as a child. Uh, you know how it goes. My dad is stronger than your dad, right? And then the, the person comes back, well, is that so? My dad is richer than your dad. Yeah. Well, then they go, well, my, your dad might be richer. I, I think my dad's even richer than your dad because he's smarter than your dad. So there. I don't care. My dad has got more hair than your dad. So there, there you go. And on and on it goes, right? Who's the best? Who's the better? It didn't take a lot of time for children to learn to be competitive, does it? I mean, we learn how to one-up the next person. We, we learn how to be better. We learn how to be more important. We, we, we learn how to be more whatever, right? Even if we aren't. But we want to let people think that we are. We see that with fans of sports teams, right? The media, the teams, the, the players, the coaches, the, uh, the supporters, and, and they all, of course, they all have their predictions about who's going to be the greatest this year in sports, right? Personal opinion is the Cardinals, but it could be somebody else, but maybe not this year. Uh, but one of the characteristics God has built into our human nature is is that we're competitive, right? We're, we're, we're driven and, and we're spirited because of being to get what we want. It distracts us. There are a lot of accounts in Scripture that rivalry turned the relationships between people upside down, right? From the very beginning, Cain and Abel, then, then Josh, uh, Joseph and his brothers, then Jacob and Esau. There's a King Saul and David. Uh, even in the New Testament, there's Paul and Barnabas had a a little bit of a trouble. In the gospel reading, we hear of the disciples squabbling among themselves about who is more important, right? In other words, who is the greatest among them? But in Jesus' day, followers of a Jewish rabbi, they did have some kind of a, a pecking order, if you will, in the more important person uh, sitting closest to the rabbi at meals and in worship that person having greater authority in the community and at meetings. And so in truth, the, the disciples were just following the ways of the rest of Judaism and the community in which they live. They were taking what they had seen and importing it into their relationship with Jesus. A sense of pride, a sense of self-importance and selfishness, superiority over one another. You just imagine the scene Jesus had just told the disciples that what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, that he was, how he was going to be betrayed into the hands of men and how that they would kill him, uh, and then how after three days he would rise from the dead. 
And this is only the second time that he shared these things with them. And now we read that the 12 just didn't get it. You know, they didn't understand what Jesus said. I mean, you, you see, it just didn't make sense to them. It didn't fit with their view of the kingdom of God. And, and they weren't asking for clarification because I think, I fear, I think that uh, for fear that clarification would be given and it wouldn't make sense to the way that they're doing things. I mean, after telling him about his betrayal and death, they head off to Capernaum. He's walking, and it seems like he's walking up in front of them, and, and so they begin to argue with each other. Interestingly, they're not fighting over who they think is going to betray Jesus. He talked about being betrayed into the hands of men. But rather, they're fighting about who among them would be the greatest, right? I mean, he's walking in silence, and, and he's on his way to his uh, sacrifice and, and uh, cruel death on the cross. And, and he, while his straggling disciples are maybe pushing and shoving each other, trying to establish that order of procession uh, behind him. Maybe you can hear them. Uh, probably sounding just like children. I'm the greatest. No, 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 no. I'm the greatest. You know, get out of the way. No, no, no. It's me. I mean, at this point in their walk with Jesus, they still have these visions of grandeur. They're not thinking about becoming servants. Those people that are everyone else's beck and calls, right? And they're, they're still puffed up with selfish ambition and to even think about taking up a cross and following a suffering servant Messiah. I mean, have you ever wondered what the conversation was like among those disciples? I mean, first off, had to be Peter, right, because he always speaks first, and probably said, well, come on, guys, you know that I'm the one that ought to be the greatest because I was the first one to follow Jesus. I'm the one who got out of the boat, right? I, I walked on water toward Jesus. He called for me, and, and, and when Jesus uh, wanted to know who he thought he was, it was me again. I, I gave the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, I must be the greatest. Then Andrew probably spoke up and said, well, Peter, if you may have forgotten about the whole get behind me Satan comment uh, from Jesus. Uh, and if my memory serves me correctly, I was the one that brought you to him, right? Uh, uh, and and when, when Jesus fed the 5,000, I was the one who brought him that boy's lunch, right? And while the rest of you stood around with your mouths hanging wide open. And Matthew steps in and says, guys, guys, come on. That sounds good, but, but you're forgetting something here. When the kingdom of God comes into a place, when he establishes the kingdom, they're going to need someone with great organizational skills. I'm a tax collector, okay? I've got the skills to get this place rolling, right? And there'll be no doubt as to why Jesus called me. James and John always stuck up and they spoke together. And, and James said, well, it's obvious, my brother and I, <laughs> we've got to be the greatest because we're some of the first disciples. Uh, and, and we're the only two brothers that were taken up with Jesus up the mountain, right? where his glory was transfigured right before our very eyes. And, and besides that, my brother uh, John is obviously Jesus' closest friend, uh, the kind of friend you'd have look after your own mother, right? And another voice spoke up, maybe Judas. Yeah, we all know how important money is. Uh, we can't get anything done without it. And listen, <laughs> Jesus gave me the job of handling the finances, so it surely means he trusts me. I must be the greatest, right? On and on it goes. They had, they had thought they had been talking out of Jesus' earshot. And when he asked them what they had been discussing along the road, they wouldn't tell him. 
They didn't know how exactly how, but they were, they were pretty sure their thinking was pretty different to that of Jesus. That's why in the first part of the gospel reading today, Jesus tells the disciples, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. We're told that the disciples didn't have a clue to what Jesus was talking about. They couldn't comprehend this idea of a humble, suffering servant Messiah. As they were heading toward Jerusalem, they were, and they thought that soon that power of Jesus would be revealed. That glory would come in. They would be there with him. They would be sharing in that glorious power with him. How did his teaching about a suffering servant fit in? What's so great about that? Uh, it was too much for them. And, and so it is then that Jesus realizes he needs a little bit more of a heart-to-heart -heart, uh, with his disciples. And he sits down, and that's sort of a posture of a teacher in that day, and the disciples all around him, and he, and he redefines greatness. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, the servant of all. Maybe rephrasing that, if a person, a person is truly great when he puts himself last of all and is the servant of all. Let's be honest, that, that is just so totally different to the world, totally different to uh, any kind of celebrity, celebrity reporting, TMZ, or anything else. I mean, this is so upside down, so back and forth uh, to, to what, what, what our world says. This is nothing like the way the rest of the world defines greatness. True greatness is putting oneself last behind everyone else and being the servant of everyone. But listen, Jesus isn't saying that greatness is a bad thing. I mean, we need great people, right? We need great people, uh, political and, and community and, and, and church leaders, and we need great musicians and uh, great artists and people with great generosity. But Jesus is saying that greatness needs to be tempered, not with self-importance and selfishness, but with service and humility. Not just sometimes, but all the time. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Then Jesus goes on and, and has a, basically an object lesson for his disciples. Uh, he took a little child. Uh, the word here indicates a very small child, like a, like a toddler or, or younger, and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Why does Jesus' example use this example of caring for a very small child as an example of greatness in the kingdom of God? I mean, why does he associate the act of receiving a little child in his name with being first in God's eyes? I mean, with, with being the greatest. I mean, wouldn't it be more powerful if, if Jesus had maybe put his arm around a, a drug addict or a drunk or a prostitute or maybe a, a leper who's so badly disfigured or a a beggar, a smelly beggar in rags. Wouldn't that be better? I mean, children are precious, right? Uh, children are, are, are wonderful, are they not? Uh, we, we love them, we care for them, they're protected in the laws of our country, they've got status, they've got rights. But we would be wrong in assuming that children in Jesus' time enjoyed the same position in society as they do today. In that day, there was high infant mortality 
and infant mortality rates reached 30%. And of the ones who lived, another 30% of live births were dead by age six. Children were the first to suffer from famine, from war and disease. After that, uh, uh, and add to that the shortage of food with enemies being nearby, and there's no room to be sentimental about a toddler. Children were considered the weakest, the most vulnerable members of society. They were the least, especially little children. Little children could be here today and gone tomorrow because of sickness or hunger or at the whim of a soldier. We often say that children are to be seen and not heard. <laughs> and that day, they weren't even to be seen. And get this picture in your mind. Jesus going ahead and, and putting his arm around the, this small and insignificant child, a, a little person who doesn't count for much in the world as a toddler, and says, whoever welcomes, whoever cares for, whoever meets the needs and embraces some this person unimportant and inconsequential as this little child, also embraces me. And that connects the status of something, someone like that little child to Jesus. And it shows Jesus' connection with the poor and the lowly, the least of these, with God's suffering servant, Messiah. You know, Jesus is encouraging disciples, and that means he's also encouraging us to follow his example and be the servant of all to the least and to the last. What Jesus is teaching us here is not just kindness, because kindness, uh, but, but kindness that's directed toward those who need kindness in their lives at a particular moment. Not just tenderness, but tenderness toward those who really need to experience genuine love. I mean, it's not just hospitality, but a welcome toward those for whom the others, the, the, the doors are shut. It reminds us of Jesus' words in Matthew 25, the, uh, the great judgment chapter. Uh, where he mentions the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the, uh, the, the sick, and those in prison, and says, when you cared for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it for me. And whatever is done to Jesus is done to God himself. This is a different kind of servanthood. This kind of servanthood isn't, isn't an optional activity that we sort of add to our Christianity, but only if we have the time and energy. <laughs> no, that's not it. I mean, this is something radical. It's hard. It's messy. It's a tough call. It's a tough call to be like Christ and to serve as he has served us and to be humble as he was, thinking of, of, of nothing of giving himself totally and serving our needs. This goes against our human nature. And as much as we might like to think that Jesus had never said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all, this radical call to discipleship stands as a challenge, a daily challenge for each one of us and for this congregation and for our church as a whole. How are we caring for the weakest and the most vulnerable? Are we turning away from following the world's idea of greatness? Are we rejecting our own needs and placing ourselves last and being the servant of all? You see, this road to discipleship is a, a tough one as we walk along this road with Jesus. 
we might try and read the text again and again and again, maybe finding some little clause uh, that softens the impact. Trust me, it's not there. Let's remember. Jesus knew who he was talking to when he made these radical statements about being a disciple in his kingdom. He was talking to his 12 disciples who uh, could be as uh, thick as bricks sometimes, but he was also talking to us who can be just as slow to catch on. He wasn't talking to perfect people, but to people who were on a journey, discovering what it means to be servants in the kingdom of God. You see, this life with Jesus is a lifelong journey, and every day we have victories, and every day we have defeats, uh, but because of Jesus, because of his cross, those defeats are turned into victories. Jesus came as a true servant, humble and loving and giving his life for you and for me to make us his children, enabling us to walk in his ways. This is true greatness, Jesus' way. May Jesus' words always guide us. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. May God give us that strength to be his servants. Amen. Please stand. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Dear friends, let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed we confess together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Dear friends, go with God's blessing this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. More worship opportunities are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. Just click worship at the top of the page. May God bless you and your family each and every day. And again, thank you for listening.